This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season now's the time to buy at fisher homes for a limited time only enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375 percent apr 6.139 percent apr with these exclusive lower rates you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. She gets too hungry for dinner at eight. I'm starving. She loves the theater, but she never comes late. I never bother with people that I hate. That's why this chick is a tramp. <laughs> she doesn't like crap. That's Tony Bennett. And the woman singing with him, Lady Gaga. Duets 2, which featured Bennett singing with the likes of Lady Gaga, Carrie Underwood and Amy Winehouse debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Tony Bennett was 85 years old, the oldest living artist to debut at number one. Tony Bennett is an exceptional talent with old school charm, but this sort of resurgence doesn't just happen. It was the result of 30 years of hard work from his son and manager, my guest today, Danny Bennett. Danny says, I don't just handle a career, I manage a legacy. Out of the tree of life, I just pick me a plum. You came along and everything started to hum. And it was Danny who helped bring his dad's music to a younger generation. Danny got Tony on Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. And it wasn't just the music, he put his dad on a budget. He stabilized his father's finances. Danny Bennett was a musician himself, but found he had a greater knack for business. Last year, he produced a film called The Zen of Bennett, which followed his dad throughout the recording of the duet's album. That cold, you know, your father built this building, you know that, don't you? Because every record went to number one. It actually <laughs> made Capitol Records possible. They do call it the house that Matt built. I love that. I think it's great. 
Danny was used to hanging around these performers. He grew up surrounded by musical giants. I was born in the Bronx, raised in Englewood, New Jersey. Now you grew up in the Bronx till you were how old? No, just like, you know, like two Briefly. years. Yeah, yeah, Quickly. Yeah. And then you guys went to Englewood. Englewood, New Jersey. Why? Uh, Anglewood was an amazing place. It's sure. it's literally 15 minutes from Midtown, right across the George Washington Bridge. And I was born in 1954, 59 now. And it was a very exciting time. You had um, a lot of artists from kind of the showbiz thing. There was Tony. There was Dick Sean, Joey Bishop, um, they were Buddy the Hackett. River. They were just right there because the, the, they would just— Tony would come and do his sessions in the city at Columbia Studios— and then the jam session would continue in my house. Uh, so they were just like, hey, let's go back to the house. He had a, like a little studio. And in, in when I say the basement, it was, a, you know, above ground basement kind of thing. You know, as a little kid, I'd wake up to the strains of like, you know, you know, Count Basie and, and just amazing stuff. So when you were a kid, I suppose most people would assume, are those your childhood memories of being awash in <laughs> music of that period? Well, you know, it, it's. I often say now, like, I feel like, Forrest Gump. I mean, I, I don't know why I had an appreciation for the moment. I, as a kid, I just did. It wasn't just music. Besides being able to sit on the piano stool with Duke Ellington, I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting on my dad's lap at a political rally with JFK running for president, you know, at the Teaneck Armory. He's sitting in back. There's Jack Kennedy giving a speech, and I'm seeing all the placards. You know, so it's like I'm always seeing the backside of things, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is an interesting perspective because that it's it's just a, that image burned in my brain. I, what was I? Eight or nine years old. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's those kind of things or Louis Armstrong and Carol Channing at the White House. You know, it's like, what's that? Or So people who sang standards and sang... Uh, whether they were Broadway tunes or they were standards by the Harold Arlins of the world and so mm-hmm. forth. But music for you, your personal music, was dad going to the studio with Count Basie and you had an electric guitar and, well, and you were singing Strawberry Fields? Well, or yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was 10 years old, the Beatles hit. Sure. And that was it for me. Right. And my brother, who plays drums, immediately I found an old guitar in my dad's closet and he's been trying to learn guitar for a long time. Uh, so I grabbed <laughs> he's gonna it. He's going to get it eventually. He's going to get it eventually. No, he's going to get it eventually, I'm telling you. But anyway, it was like a Goya nylon string guitar, and he had a book of 2,500 chords, one of those, like, things. And I I just, I was so obsessed. I had to meet the, or introducing the Beatles record, and I'd put the needle down and then, like, like go through the book and just like match the chord with the sound of the record. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a G chord, you know. It's like, and that's how I learned, you know, by ear how to play. What was the name of your band? Um, Quacky Duck. Right, right. And so, <laughs> so Quacky Duck is you and your brother. Yeah. And you have Quacky Duck, and you're how old? Uh, well, we were like 16 at that okay, point. Okay, so you're teenagers. Yeah, so yeah. Like all garage bands, you're teenagers. Yeah. And then, but at that same time, do you still have like this kind of bicameral relationship with music? There's your dad yeah, yeah, yeah. and his music, and that's a presence yeah. in your life, and you, have a, and you have a fondness for it? Yeah, of course. And an appreciation for uh, it? I mean— And then you're playing your— Yeah, I mean— some people go, don't, necessarily. No, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole, um, Louis Armstrong. I mean, these are— Royalty. Huge, royalty and huge influences on us, and then obviously— you know, we all have our icons. You know, Tony's got has his icons, and and rightfully so. We're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, cool. But but you, but you're there, and what happens as you finish high school? Is there a time that you put down yeah, your yeah. own musical career? Yeah, yeah. When was that? Well, I mean, we were 
extremely serious about it. You know, when it was like we rehearsed on the week, you know, it was like after school. It. We did it. And then it's interesting because we were never kind of into sports. And that's what we did at a very early age. You know, we were doing like high school dances. And, and, and really, I got to be honest with you, I haven't learned much since then. You know, we learned how to like, oh, wait a minute. You know what? We're selling tickets. You know, I remember going to, you know, the student union, you'd get paid 200 bucks, which was great in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a lot of money. Sure. So we, we, we kind of made it on our own. And the, the student union would go, um, oh, 200 bucks. And, I, and I'm like, Man, we're selling the tickets like to this show. So I, I would go to the student unions. I go, hey, look, I tell you what, you know what? You guys are always on the line. You don't know if you're going to make any money. No, no guarantee. We'll take a cut of the door. <laughs> we'll take 80, you take 20. And I'm this like, is, oh, this is where? This is at the high school. At the high school. Oh and so God. they're going like, oh, you know, that's cool. Great. Yeah, yeah. we don't have to worry when you get our ass kicked. At the end of the night, I'm making 2500 bucks, And they're going like, well, well, wait a minute, you know? Yeah. So then I just kind of like went from one school to another. Um, and, you finished high school, and where'd you go? Um, we, we had a deal with Warner Brothers Records, and you we used to play Max's Kansas City, and you know, with uh, I mean Graham Parsons. I don't know if you know Graham. Of course, he was a good friend of ours. We toured with him, and you know, we were like those were our heroes um, at the time, and that's where I met Bonnie and John Prine, and you know, I had this kind of really extraordinary wealth because also his original tour manager was a guy named D. Anthony. He ended up being the the penultimate like rock manager. And invented the triumphant of promoter Bill Graham, D. Anthony, and the agent uh, Frank Barcelona, and they brought all these artists in from England. And we spent—I w- was raised at Fillmore. <laughs> we were kind of an art band. We played at Max's with the Modern Lovers and the the New York Dolls, and 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 we just said, let's come up with the most ridiculous name we can possibly come up with because we thought the Beatles was kind of a ridiculous name, mm-hmm. right? So we were kind of making fun of that. So we were serious about that, working, built studios and did that kind of thing. And it just got to a point where, you know, you know when you got it and you know when you don't. I, I was always so enamored by, especially the people I worked with and other writers in my band. I'd go like, I, I was kind of really good at like saying, wow, that's a great song. And I found that like that was my real mm-hmm. talent. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? But that's interesting. Yeah. And then when does one day someone say, Danny, it's you. You're going to start becoming involved in this bit yeah, in, yeah. in Tony Inc. Well, you know it's interesting, and, and, and it's a Does it re- happen in a day. Is there an event no, that happens? Y- well, kind of, and I, I can pinpoint when Tony kind of got on. Like, hey, wait a minute, he may know what's going on. The Beatles for me was, you know, I was obsessed. Not only the art of it, but the you know the the social aspect of it, the marketing of it. Marketing was fun. It wasn't a bad word. The balance between art and commerce, it was very much about what the Zen and Bennett is about. It's always been interesting to me. The Beatles always thought the two minute and 40 seconds that they had, that was their canvas. Mm-hmm. And how best to make that work. I love that concept. Mm-hmm. I love the constraints. Well, Tony always says there's free form. You got to learn form before you can be free. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot to that. You know, you, they couldn't have done Hey Jude without doing all those great songs that Boom, there they are. Don't bore us, get to the chorus. But but still maintain the art. So moving into a time when Tony was, um, again, we, we grew up around the, you know, it was just immersed. So, the, you know, the dinner table, the conversations were about what was happening at Columbia Records. Oh, my God, Clive Davis. He was, you know, became president of Columbia, the first attorney. It was a, a freaky thing. I was very tuned into that, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but Sinatra didn't make either any of his daughters or his son the, the, his right-hand man. Well, that would have never happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go there. But <laughs> right. But your dad did. Yeah, well, he was at a point where the thing at Columbia, they tried to, you know, this happened to everyone. Sure. Sinatra, Barbara Streisand. And it was like, oh, you're going to win sing the, the Beatles bead, beads and sing Barbara Streisand. They, they tried to get Barbara to sing Bob Dylan tunes. I mean, in 1969. Yeah. I mean, she's listening to Dylan going like, Blowing in the wind. what's yeah. this? You know, uh, so, Blowing in the winds. Uh, <laughs> the answer right. is blowing Bing. in the wind. Right. Uh, you know, brilliant idea. Cut. That's a great one. <laughs> Let's go again, Barbara. <laughs> so anyway, so Tony actually, you know, worked with Climb and, and he did an album that was kind of like that thing. And he got physically sick. He said he was like regurgitating between takes. <laughs> and so, well, that's a great story that, that he tells about Clive Davis. Right, right. Um, where Duke Ellington went in and said, you know, uh, he thought he was going in to get a raise, and Clive Davis said, uh, "Well, I have some bad news for you." And he goes, uh, uh, "What is it?" And Clive's like, "Well, we're going to have to drop you from the label." Ellington goes, "Well, why?" He says, "Well, you're not selling enough records." And Ellington goes, "Oh, I guess I had it. Mis- I was mistaken. I thought I was supposed to make the records, and you were supposed, supposed to, to sell them. them. It's a great. Yeah, that's my edict." Yeah, like, and I've heard that story when well, it that's, happened. That's every artist's, uh, ang- ang- you know, anxiety. But that, that was my thing. Someone said to me, "Why do I hate making movies?" And I said, and, "And they said, do you really hate making movies?" I said, "Well, maybe hate's a strong word, but I said I'm very uncomfortable." They say, "Why?" I say, "Because you just feel the hand yeah. of commerce at your throat every day we're shooting. Every day, it's never free. It's yeah. rarely fun. It can be challenging, but you just feel like every dime is being yeah. counted." Yeah, like, yeah. You know. So they wanted your dad to. Do what he couldn't do. Yeah. And he rebels against that. No, he, want to and that. he just kind of like, they gave him a big contract and he was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to start my own label. Now, now, this is at a time when people weren't doing that. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Sinatra did it with Mo Austin, but it was done more on a, you know, Warner Brothers thing. Um, and he found uh, Jack Rollins, um, Woody Allen's manager mm-hmm. and, you know, a number of other people, great people, uh, to work with him on, on a label called Improv. This is where he made the Bell Evans records, mm-hmm. you know, voice and piano. Those records weren't being made at the time. And so he came to me and talked to me about the label. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. I said, you know, it's, it's risky. And he said, well, what's risky about it? And I said, well, it doesn't seem like they have major distribution. In this day and age, independent distribution is great. You can do it. Internet, blah, blah. But then it was a real challenge. I said, Columbia's offering you to do a distribution deal, which is a great, you know, which is great. It's kind of like, you know, they leave you alone. You can do what you want to do. He had me go talk to the guy who was running a company in Buffalo. He said, well, go talk to him. Now, you know, I got the long hair and a fringe jacket. And I, and I, and I go to this, you know, this, guy, this hotel owner in Buffalo. And I'm sitting there and he's like, what the hell is this about? And I start talking about the distribution. I'm saying, yeah, it's great. Da-da-da, boom. And there were some other things about the contract that I didn't like that I told him about, you know, in terms of him kind of getting roped into it. And this guy just rejected that whole notion. So I went back to Tony and I just said, look, I I wouldn't do this. I, I think there's, you know. So no improv records? Well, no, he did it. He did it. <laughs> and, and how long did that last? It lasted like three years and they failed because of the distribution. Right. So he does improv records, and then w- w- because— does, He can't get the records distributed. Exactly. And so, so that's what I told him. He remembered that. Right. And then the, the label folded, and then he was without a contract. For how long? Um, let's see. Like, I would say three years. Well, what three, was that like for him? Four years. 
Um, well, it's tough because remember at the time, this is like around 78, okay? Sinatra retired. Right. He didn't the Bee Gees are number one. And Streisand's doing duets with the Bee Gees. Yeah. Right? You know Barry what I'm saying? Gibb. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So like there's that. He didn't want to do it. And then he was in Vegas. And in those days, you were doing Vegas, like, you know, the 32-week the thing and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, he just called me up one day, and he was just like, I don't, you know, I need some help here. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. What he did didn't he have want? a manager. Um, he wanted to be able to do his art on his terms. Um, and What um, was Vegas like for him? What, what, what is that like for someone? Because, I mean, you always figure— I remember reading Nick Tosh's book, Dino, about mm -hmm. Dean Martin, yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the best biographies I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. And they talked about how Martin at one point in the 60s, I believe, was the highest paid entertainer in the world because he had the uh, – he touched every base. He touched all four bases. He had a television show. He had a recording contract. He starred in films and he uh, appeared live in Vegas in other right. concerts. And he yeah. was making millions and millions of dollars back then. And uh, I, I was wondering for someone like your dad, where I'm not going to say that. I, I actually I don't know what Vegas exemplified back then. Like for an actor, was that like being on a game show? Or oh like, no, 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 no. So there was prestige to it. When, I mean, the the idea that you know this is where they cut their teeth, the lounges. You know, Louis Prima in the lounge. You had Fred Astaire and Cary Grant going to see Sinatra and then going to the lounge, you know. And this is where the audience was like, yeah, you know. And Tony makes a good point. These people, it, we didn't have access to these people except the big screen. And all of a sudden, there they are, sitting there, right. watching Louis Prima, rubbing shoulders with, with uh, Sinatra and Cary Grant and whatever. This was magic. And for, for again, for Tony, you got to remember, Tony's 10 years younger than all these guys. These are his idols. Mm -hmm. You know, Sinatra called him the kid. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and there he is with them all. It's Fred Astaire. I mean, like it I— It was a salon. It was a salon. So, yeah. so it, And nobody messed around right. <laughs> for, the very, you know, for the obvious reasons. Right. And then you got into kind of this, this evolution where, you know, the Summa Corporation and Howard Hughes took over. And, like, I had to negotiate with, like, Howard Hughes and these cowboys. It was really interesting. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. You know, I mean, like, and this is where, like, Tony, when I first started working, and, like, you know, Howard uses on the top of the desert end. I mean, I know he's up there. And so there was, like, you know, this guy named Lenny, you know. <laughs> and he'd go in with me to negotiate the contract. And Lenny'd get on his hands and knees. What the fuck? I'm going, <laughs> seriously. And I'm going, what are you doing? And, like, get off your knees. I'm not going to get on my knees and beg for a contract. I'm just not going to do it, you know. And the guy What was he saying? It's just saying, get down here, get down on your knees. <laughs> this is how it works here in Vegas. We well, get on our knees for Mr. Hughes. Yeah, yeah. And he's got the big, the guys behind the desk with a big cowboy hat. And I'm like, oh my yeah. So I go to Tony, and and here's a very interesting thing. I'm sitting outside the desert end, just like you know, and I'm in a bench. Some dude comes and sits next to me, an older guy, and he's grumbling. And I turn around, and he's like, ah, I'm never coming back to Vegas again. Right? He's doing that kind of thing. I'm like, what's up? I don't know. You know, they used to fly me out here, and they used to, bah, they used to drop 50 grand a pop. But, but, man, did they make me feel good about losing my money? The shows, the girls, like that. He's doing this. He goes, they take it all away now. They don't want to know me. He says, this is, I'm never coming back again. And I had an epiphany. I was like, we got to get out of this town. Yeah. It's going down. Yeah. So I went to Tony, and I said to him, here's the gig. You got to get out of this town. 
I know this is like, this is what and you're And go where? To. And I said, you go to the people. We're going to go to colleges. What year? 79. This is the point in which you kind of climb into the cockpit with this guy who's this legend, and you're 25 years old. <laughs> now, yeah, now, I know, now, I know. But what you're teaching know, me in the conversation is that from the beginning, you were just saturated and inundated yeah, and yeah. interested, naturally, not just in it on a creative level, but on a business level as well and on a technical level. Growing up as a, you know, in that environment where kids were befriending me because the parents knew that if they befriended me, maybe they could have dinner with Tony at the thing. I developed an early sense of like cutting through the crap. You know, it's like I knew who my friends were and who, who they weren't. I could tell right away. So I had this epiphany and I said, you know what? I'm going to run him for president. I'm going to treat his campaign. I'm a, I love history too, so I do mm-hmm. love it. And I'm like, I'm going to run, I'm going to do this like I'm running for president. And I went to him and I said, you know, presidents would not go to Iowa if they didn't have to go to Iowa and, and, and you know, shake the hands. I go, instead of having people come to you in Vegas, I said, your music transcends, right? And it, you can't do this with everybody. And I, and I have an appreciation, you know, I watched Tony when, you know, how many times have I seen the show? He's reinventing himself. He's really kicking ass. I mean, in terms of like taking chances, that's really rock and roll. He's taking chances. You know, the Rolling Stones are getting older, not really taking chances mm-hmm. anyway. And there's Tony, what he calls moving the furniture around. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, people just got to see this. There's a transcendent quality and great art that, that, like he says, defies demographics. So I got into that. So it's like Letterman was at, you know, doing the late show, you know, like where, you know, where, where Fallon is now. Mm-hmm. And nobody went on that show. But after a few calls on Danny's part, Tony did. Tony Bennett, Tony! And there were other shows, many, many others. Look, it's Tony Bennett! Hey, good to see you. It's the guest. When did you first start charting? Fifties? In the fifties, yes. The fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. You've been on the charts every decade, right? Is there anybody else in history other than like Beethoven? Is there any? Hey, Kermit, have you ever sung Firefly before? Well, I can't say that I have, Tony, but you know I've certainly eaten a few. <laughs> They're a good light snack. Oh boy! Hey, come on, let's do this. Okay, you start it off, okay? All right. Mm-hmm. I call her Firefly. Firefly. Cause oh my, she radiates moon glow. In a minute, Danny Bennett talks about the challenge of keeping up with his 87-year-old father. The guy doesn't like to take elevators. He takes. He doesn't like to take escalators. He'll. We go to airports. He's up the stairs. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. 
The best cocktails are premium cocktails. And the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day. Because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. I'm late. I'm late. Very important. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. This is Alec Baldwin. My guest, Danny Bennett, is president of RPM Records and has managed the career of RPM's biggest star, his father, Tony Bennett, for over 30 years. His dad's career has had its ups and downs. The 70s weren't kind to vocalists who weren't interested in recording contemporary material. In 1979, Tony Bennett had no contract, no manager, a drug problem, and the IRS was at the door. Look, all artists go through this. Oh. When the Beatles hit Sinatra, and I mean, everyone just, Elvis, he retired. He went yeah, away. Yeah. You know, they you were. Eat peanut butter sandwiches. A lot. Yeah. They were depressed. They were like, oh my God, the world's changing. You know, yeah, that there was a big part of that. And, you know, he moved to the West Coast. He did. Yeah. You know, and Tony. What was that like for him? It was hard. He's a New yeah. York boy. Yeah. You know, he's from Astoria, yeah. Queens. He yeah. loves going, you know, he wants to Is it funny because the Beatles thing that the, 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 the When Lennon was down, he moved to LA. Yeah, exactly. exactly. When Lennon was depressed, yeah, yeah. he moved to LA. And what happened? All right, so it, it wasn't kinda, so good. It didn't do so well. Yeah. Well, the same thing kind of happened. Yeah. You know, it's just like you know, got involved with the whole click thing. Tony doesn't have a click. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't relate to. It. He doesn't like entourages. He likes to keep it simple. You know, his, his apartment every year, like something else disappears. It's becoming more zen. You know, and he loves his view over Central Park, and he's got his paintings. That's what he does. Right. So the LA thing and the parties and the thing, it was hard. Yeah. Hard to keep. And having to remind ourselves every fifteen minutes who we are. Exactly. And then, you know, you get into that thing where it's like, I'm missing out. Right. <laughs> you know, I should be at that party. And right. if I'm not, I'm a loser. You know, it's like, you know, the whole LA thing. So he's not that certain people are cut, How cut out How long did he last out there? Like four years. You know. And he came back when? What year, roughly? 76. So that was the 70s? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you say you book him on— And he on... was like, you know, you know, drug thing, financial thing. Everybody. Right. Everybody. So, so— Th there was all that happening, yeah. so I helped on, you know, it's funny because he wanted me to look at his finances. I'm not an accountant, but I'm a good common sense person. So we go to the accountant firm here and, they, you know, they dump stuff out on a table. Like, and they're like, you know, like, yeah, let the kid figure this yeah. out. 
knock yourself out, kid. Yeah, exactly. We're going to go have a coffee. Exactly. We'll be back in about an hour and we, a half. We couldn't What's do your name any, again, Danny? We, yeah, we yeah, good luck, any, Danny. We couldn't do anything. What do you think? You, yeah. you know, it's like that. Yeah. So I'm like, tell us when you got it all worked out, Danny. Call us. Right. So anyway, we did. And you did. I There were IRS problems that I went in and negotiated with. But you, this is what's interesting about your family. A lot of people, some of the last people they trust are their own families. Some of the last, if I don't, I'm a bl- guy, I don't blame them. Well, and a lot of these guys and women and people who make it big, and no one's made it bigger than your father, and they think everybody wants to just stick their straw on their drink and suck, yeah, you know, yeah, and, take, yeah. and they want money. They're all in it for the wrong reason. You and he have, was it unique all along? Was sitting on your, and I don't mean to get too sappy and sentimental, but sitting on your dad's knee and it's JFK on stage and all that stuff, were you always close to him or were you a son? Like any son, and you got closer and closer, and, and he began to see more we, and more. You know, I, no, it, it's interesting because we never related that way. So he kind of always related to me as an adult. Danny, I want to talk to you. <laughs> son, I don't want you to be my son anymore. <laughs> I want you to be my accountant. <laughs> he treated you like you were— It was kind of like, like that. Like you were a business associate. No, he would— a producer, a partner. At the age of 12, he would come to me and he'd go like, oh, I don't know, I got this thing, and blah, blah, blah. what do you think? He didn't delineate. And you know what? I mean, you know, it's like, I guess, you know, at the turn of the century, kids at 12 and 13 were working the fields. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like yeah. they were doing operating were machinery. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that— This was working in the fields for you. This was working in the fields. You know, it wasn't like— Go throw a baseball in the driveway. Yeah, and, and, and you know, celebrity, we couldn't go to the zoo. Right. It was impossible. I mean, he took me to one movie, uh, Planet of the Apes. I remember one movie. And that's okay. Danny, we're never going to the movies <laughs> together again. I'm sorry. I love you, son. But I'm going to build a theater out there in Englewood. Exactly. I'm going to watch the movies with Count Basie every Friday night. And then that's that's that, you know. But I always dug the fact that, like, I got to go to the Copacabana, <laughs> you know. So the 80s go by, and you're in this phase where you're going to build RPM. Yeah. You're going to build his your company. You're going to do what you want to do your way. But when did you know it was going to work? I mean, I don't mean to be corny and cinematic about it, but are you standing there one night in the wings and he's out there and you go, it's working? No, I'll tell you when it was. Uh, Bob Guccione Jr. was the editor of Spin Magazine. And I was reading it. They were interviewing him in his own magazine and asked him what he thought was the most influential thing about rock and roll, people in rock and roll. He said two people, James Brown... And Tony Bennett. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's wild, man. James Brown and Tony Bennett. And this is Spin Magazine. You know, it's like the Pixies. And the. And then I went on to read. And the guy's like, well, why? Oh, you understand James Brown. Why Tony Bennett? He said, because he's always taking chances. It's like what I said. And this is what I was thinking about Tony. I'm picking up. He's picking up this vibe on Tony. You know, it's like, the, you know, I, I, I say Tony never sings the same thing once. He's, he doesn't, he calls it moving the furniture around. He doesn't know, there's no such thing as complacency. And now we're watching our, you know, the big idols kind of get corporate, you know, with the stones and doing their thing. And mm-hmm. they're, they're like cookies cutter. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Bob Guccione's talking about this being like, you know, the guy's an innovator. So I, I called him up. It led to kind of the, you know, they would do these, these fashion spreads. And I said, why don't we do something with the Chili Peppers and Tony and we could have fun with it. So we did a show at the Hard Rock Cafe in L.A. with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tony. The Chili Peppers were punk at that time, Mm -hmm. right, before Rick Rubin got them. 
Um, and I said that in a, <laughs> a complimentary hey, just way. Just an observational <laughs> way. In a, in, no, in I a mean, musicological they, they, they went, way. They, they did a good job. Um, from there, it was just kind of like, wait a minute. You Are know, you a snob because your father's a snob, or is your father a snob because you're a snob? <laughs> I'm not a snob. Uh, that okay. was. We're, we're going to come back to I that. Like I'm not in the office. I'm not in the office there, buddy. <laughs> um, so, so he's with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No, so then I'm like, well, you know what? Um, I was managing some other bands at that time in Boston, and then so like I kind of got into this notion like there were the alternative rock stations, and they did these college rock radio shows at like RFK stadiums with Nine Inch Nails and da da da. So I was like, gee, I wonder if like I pitched them you know, about Tony being on the bill, if this would be novel enough for them. And I pitched it. We're down at Washington, D.C., RFK Stadium. And there's Tony. We're at RFK, 60,000 kids. It's P.J. Harvey. He's going on between P.J. Harvey and Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor. Oh my God. And what happened? <laughs> well, Tony's standing here looking, and he goes, can I ask you something? <laughs> and he goes... Would Frank do this? And I said, nope, and that's why you're doing it. And he goes, okay, I get it. And he goes out, kills, man. Kills. I mean, and we were all, (laughs) you got to take chances, you know, like we don't take chances anymore. And he kills. If if it's good, they're going to dig it. They're going to dig it, and they wouldn't let him off the stage. Just this trio. Look, I consider myself a dragon slayer for Tony. He calls me up once a month, I swear to God. Says, you know what, I just want to thank you once again that I never have to talk to another record executive (laughs) in my entire life. I I helped him unblock the the artistic channel. So I consider myself a a dragon slayer Mm -hmm. as far as that's concerned. And and, and I think that that, that's that's what I'm proudest of as far as that's concerned. So you go through this period... The 80s and the 90s. And, and then so we forth. did the MT. But then, like, out of, because the, 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 the those concerts, I said, screw this, I'm doing, I'm doing LA, K Rock. I'm doing, so I did like five of these things. Then he comes into me one day and he goes, you know, and now I'll do Tony. You know, I was watching um, MTV. I think I can do really well on TV. And then just walks out of my office. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. I'll get on that. I'll get on yeah, that. Let me make a call. Well, you know, and then Hello, I'm like, MTV. No, but that's Tony, man. Yeah, no. You know, and I'm why, like, why not? I got it. Well, Tony spelled backwards is what? Why not? That's what I say. Anyway, so then it was kind of like, well, how am I going to do this? You know, John Stewart had a new show. They didn't really have artists. I said, well, I'll put Tony on the John Stewart show. And I kind of sold that idea and Doug Herzog, who now is a Comedy Central. Um, at the time, and, and it was like, hmm, you know, hmm, that could be interesting. And then, this is around 88 now. They dug it, <laughs> so they put him on. Then, and then it was like, then I'm kind of— How did he feel? He's, he's cool. Here, here's your father who, like any artist with a career that lasts decades, technological advance and change becomes another mountain for him to climb. Well, and no. now he's on a television music channel. Did no, he love it? No, did he dig he, it? Here's the thing. It's the audience. His audiences were getting older, and when we were in front of that young audience, it's up here. Mm -hmm. And then he became 20 years old, I Mm -hmm. swear to God. Mm -hmm. I I watched him. You know, he just rises to the occasion from that audience. He doesn't like to do arenas and things. He he feeds off of that. And here's the deal. So it was like they came, and it was like, you know, we got unplugged. Um, That'd be interesting to do unplugged. So I was like... Yeah, fantastic. So seriously, man. 
got all the MTV people, all the record people, and they start going, great, you know, we got t- this is going to be fantastic. Tony's going to sing Within and Without You, a Bono song, and like Runaway Train. And, and I was like, whoa, whoa. I said, you know what, guys, I really appreciate this, but this is, this is a train wreck. Never going to happen. And I walked out. And then they said, well, come back in. What are you talking about? I said, listen, you guys are MTV. This was in the day of MTV. I said, you guys got balls. That's, that, that, there's no balls to do. What's going to take balls is to do Tony's music and have them sing Tony's music. And I said, that's balls. That's MTV. And they were like, yeah. Yeah, you know, we got balls. We got balls. We? We're going to do that. Don't we marry? You have balls, don't you, Mary? <laughs> yes, I do. I've got huge balls. Yeah. Whose idea was the duets album? Well, Origi- that, originally. I mean, you know, it's not. It wasn't an original idea. No, but I'm saying, but for I him, I thought that th- th- those are very point, complicated things to do. The point to, at to which, lasso all those people yes, isn't yeah. that a pain in the ass? Yeah. You know, you you had Sinatra, and then you had um, uh, Ray Charles. I mean, he sold 15 million records. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So I'm like, you know, how do I go and reinvent Tony? You know, we and then we went on with MTV to win Album of the Year with the Grammys. Got a lot of people upset. You know, it was like, what's going on with that? But when you look at it, you know, Alec, it's like he heralded in the iPod generation. You can listen to Tony and Billie Holiday and also listen to Pearl Jam and, you know, it didn't matter. So kids started opening up to mm-hmm. that. He's, you know, he, I give him a lot of credit for that. Now, your father has you uh, in, in his corner, obviously, for many, many years now. His own son is flesh and blood. He has a wife. Your stepmother, who is obviously is uh, omnipresent and around all the time yep. with him, he's got two people who are taking good care of him, and he's getting on in years. I mean, and, and my and my brother's been producing and, and, his and, records. And, your, for, and, your yeah. and, and, and I'm assuming that a lot of it is you got to take as much stress off him as possible because 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 he's working a full schedule. Yeah, well, and he's eighty. What years old? He's going to be eighty-seven. And he's still going. Well, I mean, a lot of people don't look at me and go like, "What are you doing? You know, leave him, leave him be." No, no. And well, then well, I, they do. Oh, yeah, and I'm oh. like, uh, it's not me, right? I mean, seriously, I, I, I'm very, you know, conscientious of his age. The guy doesn't like to take elevators. He takes. He doesn't like to take escalators. He'll. We go to airports. He's up the stairs. He's the first one. <laughs> I mean, keeping up with him is a challenge. There's something about people who. They make the most of what they have. I mean, there are people who they 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 have something. Pacino once had a great line to me. I said to Pacino, "You ever get uptight when you make films with people who you worry about they might not be able to cut it? Like you don't want to exert too many controls and authorities and approvals, and that this guy in the cast drops out, and this girl shows up, this guy shows up. You're doing scenes with people, and you're Al Pacino, and these other people maybe aren't as good as you. What do you do? And I'll never forget Pacino says." Uh, Alec, he says that what I realize is everybody's talented in this business. Everybody who makes it to the level we're at making films and everything. He said, they're all talented. He said, some are just more talented than others. <laughs> but everybody, I say to myself, <laughs> everybody's talented. And I go, he said, like, someone would say, he had a talent for telling jokes. <laughs> or he had a talent for dealing cards. Everyone's talented at something. So the thing... To me, is it there's people in this business who they they go far and they make the most of what they have, and what they have is like blah blah blah. But your father was somebody who had the most. Yeah, he had the most talent. Your father, I'll sit down. You know, I don't I, know if I, it's I mean, the my, most talent. I think it's he's tuned into his talent the most. Well, well, well that, that's your opinion. You know, he owes you a lot. 
He owes well, you a lot. You know. No, no, no. But, but I'm saying you've helped him yeah. to keep that fire burning because there's a lot of people who what happens is they have the talent. What they lose is the will. They're yeah. like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I know. I, I've I sat know. Well, they lower the bar because they don't want to be disappointed. I, I mean, that's the key. Tony never lowers that bar. Right. It's always up. Why and do you that's think cool. that is? What is it in him? <sighs> Look, I, I was watching, uh, once again, I hadn't seen in a long time, the Maisel's Brothers um, film on Horowitz. You know that one? No, I never saw it. Oh, my God. you got to watch it. Oh, you will. They're just filming him playing piano in his living room. And you watch this guy play, and you're going like, where is that coming from, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's somewhere else. Yeah. And Tony's like the same way. That's why I had Lost in the Stars at the end of the movie, Zena Bennett. Um, Lost in the Stars, you know. He's out, it's out there in the cosmos. And I don't want to, you know, it's it's the essence of Zen. It's about being in the moment. It's about, for me, it's about the, the you know, art is like, you know, James Joyce says about, it, it's an arresting moment. And the world disappears. And you're in the moment. But when you do that, it puts us in the moment. And when lost out here in the stars. Find out more about Danny Bennett's film, The Zen of Bennett, on our website, here's the thing.org. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season now's the time to buy at fisher homes for a limited time only enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375 percent apr 6.139 percent apr with these exclusive lower rates you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.